Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who I like to call Snake Hips Hurst. <laughs> you don't need to open the door, he'll just slither under the gap. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Uh, I'm very well. I'm very well. Um, I had a bit of a incident this morning. I thought I'd save it for our little preamble. So, my, um, <laughs> okay. the, you know yourself from living here, this is a particularly hot time of the year and it's going it's yeah. to get hotter before it gets cooler and mm. we're looking after my wife's now ex-boss who lives not far away looking after their cats which involves going round and mm. in the morning and in the evening just making sure they're fed and stuff so i went round early this morning before it got too hot and there were a couple of indian kids kicking a football about as i was walking around i don't know i mean i could just say they're kids the fact that they're indian kids has got nothing to do with what i'm about to tell you but one of them sort of lost control of the ball and it came my way so i tried i went to pass it back to them and what i tried to do was just do a, a cheeky little chip because it was sort of on the volley but I hit it a bit hard and it bounced right off the smallest kid's face <laughs> oh dear oh dear, oh dear. so I had, I, had, I had to go, well I went over to apologise and everything is I think it was his older brother was, oh it's okay and I mean to be fair to the wee boy he wasn't in floods of tears or anything it, it never hit him on the nose, it sort of hit him on the cheek um, Okay. So it, oh that's better. Yeah it could be worse it's burst his face already. It was a proper football, it wasn't like a, like when we were kids we used to have, well we used to call them floaters, the, like the old shoot footballs yeah. that you would kick and they would just go for miles. It was a proper football, No, it, it was, it? it was maybe somewhere in between. So it had a wee bit of weight, but okay. it was, it, you know, because it was because it was closer to that sort of floater that you describe, it was a bit, a bit bouncier on the road than perhaps a proper football would have been, you know? I thought you were going to say something else there. I don't think you were going to say you smacked him in the face with it. Because it reminds me, it was a time I was on holiday and I can't remember where it was, like Spain or somewhere on holiday. And uh, I must have been in my early, mid-twenties. And there was kids playing football and I was walking along the beach and the ball came rolling towards me. So I went to go and kick it back to them. Now, I'm not a very good footballer. Me neither. And I kicked the ball and it just bended to the left and like went miles away. So what it would have looked like was that I had just been like, get to fuck and kicked it away. Well, I meant to kick it back to them. And one of the boys, I heard him say to his friend, why didn't he just kick it back to us? And I, I, I remember that, you know, happened probably about 20 years ago. And I still remember that to this day of my bad footballing ability of why didn't he kick it back to us? <laughs> so <laughs> did you not say, like, I'm really sorry. I, I meant I was trying to kick it back to you. I'm just, no, I've got like a, no, I told like a 50 piece. I, <laughs> I just, I just left it. Nah, nah I just left it. Yeah, you don't want to go into these things too much, so no. I know, but the thing is, if if I, I mean, I, I could have just walked off, right, this morning, but one, I felt awful, and two, I have had to walk past them again on my way home, <laughs> so, no. you know. You you did the right thing, you apologised, yeah. so that's the, the main thing, because you obviously felt terrible <laughs> doing it, and it was an accident. It was an accident. It was an accident. No, that's yeah. The, yeah, it was an accident, yeah, keep telling yourself that. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anything else? Or have you been uh, abusing any other kids um, over the last weekend? No, or? no. Uh, that's, that's the only child that I've injured. I uh, I was in Qatar this week. I think I told you I was over in Qatar. Oh yeah. Just uh, I've got some business there, so I was over just checking our readiness for the World Cup. I don't mm. feel like Qatar is going, going to be ready for the World Cup. I think it's going to be a, 
absolute shit show. I kind of can't wait for it in a way. I mean, I know Scotland aren't going to be there, which is bitterly disappointing. I'm lucky in that I live in the Netherlands, so I could support the Netherlands. Yeah. And my wife is German, so I can support Germany. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'll, I will be supporting Germany. So yeah, it's a terrible shame Scotland won't be there. But I can't wait for this World Cup because I just think it's going to be an absolute shit show. Mind you, everyone thought USA 94 would be a bit of a shit show because it was the Americans. And it turned out to be, for me, it was it was a brilliant World Cup, maybe because I was 13 at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, like, for me, I, I loved USA 94. But I can imagine, I don't know, I've just got an odd feeling about this World Cup. It's going to be a bit odd. But USA 94, I guess, would have been the first World Cup where you could sort of properly engage in, you know, because I guess in 1990, you'd have been, what, nine? So you're sort of into it, but when you're that bit older, you're a bit more, you know. I would say so. I mean, I remember Italia 90. Um, I remember watching certain games. I remember watching Scotland-Brazil. I I vividly remember watching the final, Mm. Germany-Argentina. But yeah, you're right. USA 94 was probably the first World Cup I watched, I think, every game. Yeah. Uh, because it was summer and I guess the the time the games were on. Yeah, I remember watching every single game and just loving it. But yeah, you're right. That's probably why. But I don't know, Qatar, it's going to be strange. I think FIFA kind of need it to go well because obviously the Champions League final was a bit of a mess, wasn't it? The Stade de France. Yeah. The Europa Cup final in Seville was a similar sort of mess by all accounts and yeah. stuff in terms of how they manage the crowds. From what I understand, the authorities are absolutely shitting themselves about drunken behaviour and hooliganism. Um, yeah. So they've got, you know, they're trying to get these events set up and these sort of fan zones set up. But the thing is, if the World Cup was in, say it was in, I don't know, making it up, right? It was in, it was in Amsterdam, right? It was in Holland. So it was, it was, and there was games in Amsterdam. Yeah. You know, like mm. you could, even if, even if you didn't have a ticket, right? You could jump on the Eurostar or you could get a cheap flight over. You could go to mm. the sort of, you know, centre of Amsterdam or Rotterdam, wherever the yeah. games are being played, you'd find other fans, you know, like other Scotland fans or England fans, whichever team, uh, or Germany fans and stuff. And you could just soak up the atmosphere and probably watch the game on a big screen for nothing and there would be some beer tents and things. Not going to be anything like that in Qatar. Well, there will be stuff like that, but it's going to be all very, very controlled. And you, you need to have a ticket for a game to even buy a flight when the World Cup's on. Wow, I didn't realise yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's carnage. Because that's part of the atmosphere. People just go and they're like, oh, I'll get a ticket there. Yeah. And normally you probably will, or you'll, as you say, just go to one of the fan zones yeah, yeah. And, and watch it on the big screen outside. Yeah. Wow, it's going to be pretty soulless. Yeah, it's going to be a bit clinical. And, you know, they, they're saying, oh, but you could go to every game that was being played that day. You could go to them all because all the stadiums are close together. But I'm like, Bill, you know, why, why would you want to? <laughs> <laughs> go and watch Wales around yeah. and, all, and all the games kick off at 10 o'clock at night which I guess is for like European supporters I'd, I'd imagine that and probably the temperature as well I mean mm. I know it doesn't get when it is in December it's a bit cooler but still still a bit hot yeah. you know if you're coming from well Wales or um, Iceland mm-hmm. or something then it's it's still going to be Pretty fucking warm. Yeah. So yeah, and you know the airport's just a fucking shit show. I mean, it's it's like a very, it's like a very modern airport, but it's it's operated like ridiculously badly. <laughs> just you, be prepared to stand in line at immigration to collect your bags, to check in, and everything like that. It's fucking. So yeah, I'm glad I'm not going. I'm 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 at an age where it would only be if Scotland were were had qualified that I'd probably want to try and go to a game. 
but um I'm happy to watch it on the TV. Okay, uh, so um, I I can hear uh, Les and <laughs> Woody. Um, they are they're tuning up. I, I think they've they've come here for a, a special reason, Greg. I think we'll have a little Shang Along update, don't we? we? Do I thought? I mean, I, had, I was trying to remember the last time um, that I gave a Shang Along update. And I think we're, I think we both kind of forgot all about it, but it was it was actually our Cranky's Christmas episode was the last update. Ah, oh, was it really? Okay, well, um, take it away, guys. Yep, so I went back and listened to the uh, Cranky's episode again the other day because I couldn't quite remember where I left off. So for anybody who hasn't heard a Shangling update before, basically the kind of story so far, and I'm going to abbreviate it um, as quickly as I can, it was between Christmas and New Year in the year 2000 and the two of us were out with our mutual friend, We'd been out, and the illicit still in Aberdeen. We decided to go down to Amadeus, which is down at the beach. Um, it was very, very cold and icy, so we decided to get a taxi. We end up walking to a, the kind of further away taxi rank. While we were there, uh, a drunk driver almost crashed into the taxi queue. But even worse than that, he jumped the taxi queue when we'd been waiting for ages left his smoking, smouldering car on the side of the road. And uh, we, um, so I think when I just left that we had arrived safely in Amadeus. I had mm-hmm. managed to go for a piss because I was very, very close to pissing myself after holding it in for what felt like a really, really long time. Um, I think we just had a wee dance to build me up Buttercup by the foundations. Our mutual friend having apparently perfected a whole dance routine. <laughs> All by himself. I just been threatened with a bit of bodily harm by the DJ for <laughs> asking him to uh, to play "Let's Get Ready to Rumble" by PJ and Duncan. And you and I had repaired to the to the the kind of mezzanine uh, where we got, which afforded us a nice view of the dance floor. We just persuaded our uh, round shy companion to go to the bar and stand his hands and while we were stood waiting you pointed a young lady out to me who I think you knew her from university right or you knew her in passing or something like that I I think it was school or uni but right. I, I definitely knew her in some capacity yes okay um, so she was wearing quite a fetching tartan skirt which mm-hmm. happened to coincide with the unmistakable intro to the song Shangalang by the Bay City Rollers and I, I remember you expressing an extreme desire for this young woman, and uh, and I remember, I, I seem to remember that, and I, I don't think this would happen anymore. But I seem to remember that we left our half-drunk drinks on the kind of little shelf at the railing and went down yeah. to dance near the girls, right? Um, yes. In the hope that I guess they would see what fucking sexy bastards we were. And uh, I could cop off with her pal while you took uh, Miss Shangalang home. Uh, Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But um, (laughs) when we got back, uh, back up to the mezzanine, our drinks were still there. And we just drank them. Yeah. I would never do that nowadays. Never. Never. Because you would always... Not a chance. You would always buy a few drinks at a time in Amadeus Mm. because it was always quite hard to get served because it was never enough bartenders on and it was often busy. So... Came back with a with a, sorry our mutual friends. <laughs> <laughs> I 
just fucking <laughs> stitched him right up there. Um, our, our mutual friend um, came back with the drinks. I guess we had, I can't, I don't, can't really remember much much more of the time in the club. I suppose it sort of passed without incident. Bit of dancing, perhaps, maybe a couple more attempts at catching the eye of uh, of Miss Shangalang. And then the club closed and we decided to get on the bus. Now, do you remember the bus that used to go from Amadeus into town at closing time? Yeah, the Amadeus bus, Amadeus of course. Bus, yeah. Some great times on that bus. Yeah, so I remember getting on the bus and as I, as I mentioned in the last uh, Shangalang update, our mutual friend, who we've been friends with for a long, long time, and, you know, we're very, very fond of him. But <laughs> if you're ever on the bus with him or the train... <laughs> If there are people around that he would like to get the attention of, he's incredibly loud, like really loud when he's telling stories and stuff. And if he if he misquotes something that he's trying to tell us about, they might say it's a funny line from making it up, like Red Dwarf or something, and you correct him <laughs> with an earshot of the group of people that he's trying to impress, he gets quite upset and angry. <laughs> You didn't get too carried away that night, uh, but I do remember you in particular sort of setting him right in a couple of things that he'd got wrong, and he was a bit upset about it. We do have a, a term for this we that we call, um, we can't say it. let's say it's um, our maroon mutual friend. <laughs> yeah. It's the, <laughs> the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, you know, they, if you think about the Incredible Hulk, right, and like, Bruce Banner would turn into the Hulk if you made him angry, our mutual friend sort of turns into another sort of frothing, angry beast if you upset the him. Incredible a, <laughs> the Incredible Sulk. The Incredible Sulk. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's on a, he seems to be on a bit of a tear at the moment, the old Incredible Sulk. <laughs> so anyway, you know, like Aberdeen, for anybody who's not visited Aberdeen before, but like one of Aberdeen, a sort of institution of Aberdeen is that it ha- it, it's got a nice line in all night bakeries. And they're not really all night, but we always called them the all night bakeries, but they, they weren't open all night. What, what they would do is, is go in, and open at sort of two o'clock in the morning for people coming out of the clubs and the pubs. And I guess they would be baking and things. And so you would always go in and get a pie. Mm. And I remember suggesting, because I lived in the city centre, I think uh, our mutual friend was over on Elmbank Terrace in those days and you were up in Hazelhead. So I, mm. I knew that I had some booze uh, in the house. So I suggested, well, should we go and get a pie and then we'll go back to mine and we can have a couple of drinks. And it was... Uh, it was a well-received suggestion. So while we were standing in the line in the bakery, which was very busy on Chapel Street, we noticed that there had been a there was a sort of pie marketing campaign going on. There were posters um, trying to sort of encourage the purchasing of pies with the immortal slogan, I guess. Yeah. Say I to a pie, which for some reason. It's beautiful. <laughs> yes. I mean, obviously in your in your profession you can appreciate how oh. simple and elegant and perfect that slogan is. But for some reason at the time, it was just really funny. <laughs> I don't know why. And I remember there was also a poster up about um some pie competition or award winning pies or something. And I can remember like as we're moving along the line to the kind of order point, you know, you're you're kind of facing the counter and the bakers and the shop attendants, stuff behind the counter. And I remember asking, well, not really asking, I remember, like, irritating um, <laughs> this poor guy, just this poor guy just at his work, about whether he had made the award-winning pies <laughs> and all this. And uh, you could tell that he just fucking just could not be arsed <laughs> to hear it. But anyway, 
we got our pies uh, without further incident and we just and we walked back to mine but then we remembered the car accident well the drunk driver smashing his car so we decided that we would walk down because it was only like a short walk away from the, my building and see if the car was still mm. there while we were eating our pies <laughs> and lo and behold the car was there but so were two police officers and when they saw us coming round the corner they asked us what we were up to and we admitted, well, there was nothing to admit. We told them that we had uh, witnessed the accident, which we had. But it was, the accident had been maybe three or four hours and about 20 drinks ago. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it would be fair enough to say that we might not have been the most reliable witnesses that the Grampian police have ever had to interrogate. But anyway, the um, I suggested, and I don't know why, I, I would, I'd like to think that maybe I suggested this in case they asked us to go to the police station with them. In hindsight, I would like to think that was the reason. I suspect that that wasn't the reason at all. I just was a fucking idiot. I suggested we go to my flat <laughs> and they could take statements from us there, to which they agreed. And uh, I think we'll, we'll leave it. We'll leave it there. We'll do it. We'll do a final instalment in a in a few episodes' time and, and wrap it up. Oh, it's getting exciting. <laughs> oh, the police are coming back to your flat. What's going to happen? <laughs> Who are they going to find? Um, I, I seem to remember the certificate that was on the wall of the, the pie shop. Did it not say he was a master baker or something? <laughs> and we were asking him if he was a really good master baker <laughs> yeah. or... That's, Something yeah. along those lines. That's, yeah, you're right. That's, Poor guy. He must have. He must have had a thick skin because he must have had to put up with so much shit over the years. And you can imagine. Wonder if he spat in those pies. That, <laughs> you know, if he had like a a special pie in that tray that was laced with like cat shit or something. <laughs> and if you were really offensive to him, he just knew that that pie had like a double like hole on the top and he's like right you're getting the cat shit pie the first person to make the master baker quip on his shift <laughs> right this cunt is getting the cat shit pie i can't be honest if i was a, a a baker it's the kind of thing i would do like lace a pie with laxatives and just leave it there because you're not going to complain are you if you have an upset stomach the next day you're not going to put it down to that pie you're going to say oh it was down to that i must have had a dodgy pint yeah i mean i feel like i've mentioned this before but when i when i used to run a restaurant uh, when I was in Glasgow, I was working on one Sunday morning. This guy called up, accusing us of giving him food poisoning. So there was a process to, to, that you had to follow if somebody did that. So I got the form out and I said, "Right, so when did you visit the restaurant?" "Oh, I was in. Uh, I was in last night with my missus." And I said, "Okay." I said, uh, "Do you know what time it was?" "Ah, yeah, about eight o'clock." Eight o'clock. That's okay. So anyway, um, he said that he said he's never had a table ready straight away. So the missus and I went and had a couple of pints in the bar. I was like, all right, what did you have? A, a, a couple of pints of Stella. I was right, okay. I said, and then what did you have to eat? I had a well done steak with chips. I said, okay. I said, e any sauce? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I said, did you have uh, anything else to drink? I, well, the missus had a couple of cocktails and we had a bottle of red wine, but she never drank much of it because she was drinking her cocktail. I was like, right, okay. I said, then, did you have anything else, like, after you left the restaurant? He says, well, we went, we went, up, we went, up, we went up the tune. We were up at the casino in the tune. I said, do you have anything to eat or drink up there? Well, I never had nothing to eat, but we were, you know, we were out, up, had, we were out drinking. <laughs> I was like, right. Do you think maybe you got a hangover? <laughs> 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 oh, definitely not, man. Definitely not. So, okay. We'll be in touch. <laughs> <sighs> Wonderful. Oh, yes. Well, thank you so much for the Shangalang update, Greg. I cannot wait to hear the next instalment, which we'll probably do in 2023. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. 
Uh, right, shall we have a look at what's been going on in Scotland in the last couple of weeks? Cue the jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, so what have you seen in the newspapers this couple of weeks that has caught your eye and you want to share with me and our Swally audience? Okay, Doc, so this first one comes from the Daily Record on the 28th of June. The headline says, Scott's dealer dubbed himself a cannabis connoisseur after he was caught with £10,000 worth of drugs. Oh. Gary Winton, a 31-year-old skateboarder. I mean, I think, unless you're like Tony Hawk or something like that, you've made a career out of it, you know, 31's too old to still be skateboarding. Come on, Gary. Uh, I, I, I genuinely bought a skateboard last oh, year. That's right, he did. <laughs> My 40s. <laughs> well, never used it. <laughs> I've used it once. <laughs> Gary Winton, a 31-year-old skateboarder from Perth, told the jury he just loved to smoke weed. So Gary told the court that he smoked different kinds of hash at different times of the day, and he found it better to buy in bulk. He claimed that the £10,000 worth of cannabis in his home was for, was for personal use because he was a drug connoisseur. However, a jury rejected his claim to simply be a prolific cannabis connoisseur and instead found him guilty <laughs> of dealing the drug for profit. Sheriff William Wood deferred sentence for reports and said, There was a substantial amount of cannabis found in your flat and you have always acknowledged ownership of that, because of the nature and seriousness of the charge, you've been found guilty of deal of uh, intent to deal, and I cannot deal with this today. Skateboarder Winton, 31, from Perth, <laughs> told the jury he loved to smoke weed. He, he said he knew which varieties were best for waking you up in the mornings, and which could help you sleep at night. The jury at Perth Sheriff Court heard that nearly a kilo of the Class B drug was recovered by police from his property in the city's Gowrie Street. He admitted that the drug belonged to him, but he denied he was a dealer. Juries found Winston guilty of being concerned in the supply of cannabis. The court heard officers swooped on the flat on the 4th of March 2019 and found several tubs of cannabis, as well as scales and snap bags with traces of the drug. Winton told jurors he bought his drugs with money he made fixing and building vintage bicycles. He claimed the scales were used to weigh bike parts, while the bags were used to hold small nuts and bolts. <laughs> when, when, when cross-examined by fiscal deputy Michael Dunlop, Winton admitted that he also used the scales to weigh cannabis, just so he, <laughs> just so he knew how much he was smoking every day. The trial heard Winton had been using cannabis for a decade and estimated he was regularly using half an ounce per day. You love to smoke cannabis, don't you? Asked Mr Dunlop. Winton replied, yeah, it's true. When told by the police that nearly a kilo of cannabis was found in his flat, Winton responded, I didn't realise there was that much in my house, to be honest. It's just better to buy in bulk. During his police interview, Winton refused to name who he bought the drugs from. I'm, up, I'm honest up until the point that I get someone in trouble. He said, I know the people that I buy it from and we have a trusting relationship. Winton told the jury, I would consider myself a connoisseur. It was all for personal use. He then reeled off the names of some strains of the drug that he used at different times of the day, such as Stardog, Nebula and Gelato. 
Solicitor Linda Clark defending said that her client had always admitted possession of the cannabis. She said, if he was some wily drug dealer, you don't get a lot of wily these days, he would have told the police, that's not mine, I was looking after it for someone else. So uh, Winton had bail continued for reports and will be sentenced in August. Now, I remember, I don't really know anybody like this anymore, but I remember when I was younger, quite a lot of people who would just smoke hash all the time. And yeah. I gotta be honest, they were the most fucking dullest, tiresome people. You know what I mean? They're fucking just boring, dull, feckless cunts. <laughs> Every one of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously live in Amsterdam, you know, yeah, yeah. weed capital of Europe, but I, I don't smoke it. I've tried it a few times and it just doesn't agree with me. I remember, I don't know if you ever met or if you knew of him, um, when we met and you worked at the Frankie Benny's and it was Daytona uh-huh. and I can I, I'm not going to give his real name out but there was a guy that he was the pot washer and his name was Python right did you ever meet Python no I don't no? think so he was this skinny white guy he had like long hair and a ponytail and it, that was his job he washed the dishes at Daytona and he literally would he had a bucket next to his bed like as in a bong right. like uh, with a, a plastic bottle in water and he would have a bucket before he got up every morning and you're like really <laughs> really yeah that's what you need to get out of bed in the morning have a fucking bucket like jesus h christ yeah he was permanently stoned and nice enough guy oh, well, because he was permanently stoned yeah probably yeah i mean I, i'm not i'm not having a go at people who like smoke weed because like you know i mean i've smoked it myself like but i'm talking about the people and this guy he went and looks like one of these who they just sit in front of the tv all day just smoking weed. Like one of those guys that you would always know would be in because mm. he never went out. Or if he did, it was just out to the shop to get fucking daily Lunchables or Doritos or whatever they lived off. A pie from the bakery. You know, and just like watch shite on the telly or, you know, just... Yeah, but dude, you need people like that. If you need to get a bike part, then you know he's going to be in. He's going to measure it on his scale. Yeah, he'll what know, the fuck? He'll know he's, exactly how much that, it weighs. That is one of the best excuses. I've got scales because I need to measure the weight of bike parts that I sell. That is phenomenal excuse. Like, surely, why would you need to weigh a bike chain? <laughs> <laughs> or a cog, or a, I don't know the flappy things that go through the spokes, like a spooky, a spooky dokey, <laughs> a spooky dokey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> why? Why do you need to weigh them? Oh. To know how much they weigh? It's like, is he going to be doing unless he proper... was? He was. He was building the ultimate racing bike. Which well, yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> but it said that he restores vintage bicycles, so I'm not sure that. And old, old bikes were always really heavy, anyway, weren't they? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, they were. Yeah. I mean, I used to, I had a rally boxer, and then I had a rally burner BMX, and they were. And I remember getting a when I was about eleven or twelve. I got a racing bike. I got a rally pursuit, and it was lighter. Mm. It was lighter than the BMX that was too small for me by that point. You know what I mean? Do you remember those bikes when we were kids? I never had one, but one of my neighbours did. And it was like, how's it called? Like a wolf or something. And it was like a black bike with like a blue writing on it. And it had like a little computer at the front. Yes, I do. I think yeah. it made noises. Was it, it was called like a wolf or something. Yeah, it was, I but think. I was being, it was made by Rally, right? Um, I think so. I was being quite jealous my neighbour had one, but probably a gimmicky shite. But yeah, I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now because it's going to annoy the shit out of me. And I'm just, all, all I'm typing into Google is Rally Computer Bike. <laughs> <laughs> it was called. I'm sure. Sh- 
the it was called the uh, Vector. Oh, okay. The Rally Vector. Uh, yeah, and it had, yeah, it had some buttons. I don't know. I don't know what they did. The buttons. Well, yeah, yeah. What did that actually do? It wasn't like a GPS or anything, because that was obviously in the <laughs> late eighties, early nineties. So like a calculator that, or something, so you could do your sums when you're riding your bike. That's what I'm wondering. Did it just make noises like a rar or something, or like uh, play like a little theme tune as you're doing a, a jump? So the the one that you the one that you're thinking of actually is the Rally Wildcat, which was the black and blue one. I'll, that was it, the Wildcat. I'm, yes, I'm going to send you a picture of it right now. Um, you can have a look at it on your phone. It's fucking. I mean, it looks pretty tasty to be honest. Be honest, I like it. I quite like that color scheme, that black and blue. It looks quite smart, and it was those like cool plastic wheels, you know, with the sort of uh, this kind of six six spokes. That is the very boy. Oh, we're both going to be on eBay looking for Valley Wildcats <laughs> yeah. now. That is that's exactly it. Yeah, that's kind of exactly as I described it. But yeah, yeah I got the name wrong. But yeah, but you are close. I, you know, what did that console do though at the front? I don't know. I'd it's, love to know. I know. We'll find out. We will find out. If you had a Rally Wildcat, please get in touch with us and let us know what what did that actually do at the front. Okay, so this guy is a cannabis connoisseur. Yes. Are you a connoisseur of anything, Greg? Um, I don't. I know you're a jazz purist, but (laughs) are you a connoisseur of anything? (laughs) I I like the thoughts of being an expert on something that is universally liked. Like wine or what, whatever, like but. wine or cigars or. I hate, like, I don't like cigars. You, what would you like to be? What would you like to be an expert in? I, I think I'd like. To, I think I would. I'd like to be a connoisseur of whiskey, but I know yeah. what I, I like what I like. You know what I mean? Like everybody else, and I, I don't like what I don't like. I, I think that if you, if you're a connoisseur, you need to have a kind of broader palette, like thirty-one year old skateboarder Gary from Perth. Um, <laughs> Just, uh, what about you? What would you like to be a connoisseur of? If uh... I, don't, I don't know, I, I can't think of anything really. Like I, I, I'm not going to steal your thunder, but yeah, whiskey would be a good thing. Yeah, I think that's a, a talent you'd always have. I'm the same as you. I'm not a big fan of cigars, so oh. I wouldn't want to be like a cigar connoisseur. A connoisseur um, of Brady's. Or or bakery products Ooh. that are particular to the northeast of Scotland. Yeah, but now I'm kind of vegetarian. It's kind of mm. I can't really. I, I wouldn't be able to. I I you know something before I did turn before I turned. Um, yeah, <laughs> a, a pie connoisseur. That would be fucking magic. A pie connoisseur. <laughs> that would be what I would love to be. But I'm um, I guess I'm quite limited now in my connoisseur lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of uh, pie, uh, well, not speaking of pies, uh, Strong Henry has been in touch with us on Instagram. He Hmm. has attempted, uh, he appears to have attempted to enter a pie-making competition in Scotland, but he wants to take his own ingredients. And he showed me a letter. Well, he he, he sent us a letter from the organisers of the pie competition saying along the lines of, you can't really bring the protein into Scotland. You would have to. You would have to mm. just use. You'd have to buy your ingredients here in Scotland. And uh, Henry's in Canada, so I, I, I did ask him. I did say so. Is is a trip to God's country in the cards then, Henry? And he said it's very tempting. So we'll see. Well, I'm sure between us we could probably Henry. Well, we'll get in touch with you off the podcast. But if there was some specific thing you were looking for, I'm sure we could find someone that can maybe source it. Mm-hmm. In Scotland, like between us, like uh, you've got contacts in Glasgow, yep. got contacts in Aberdeen. We could find like a, a butcher or something. In fact, um, I I am friends with a, 
a girl on Facebook that I used to go to school with that has her own butcher shop. So if it's a specific meat you're looking for, Henry, I could get in touch with her. She lives in Edinburgh. I could, yeah, I could definitely ask and we can find out. There we go. Something to keep an eye on, along with the Shangalang yeah. story, with Henry's uh, pie competition endeavours. Henry, we'll be in touch, okay? Uh, okay, so that's uh, that's old Gary from Perth. What's, uh, what's your first story this week? Right, Greg, you know I am a big Aberdeen fan. Mm. As in the football team, yeah? yeah. So we are called the Dons. That is our nickname, the Dons from Aberdeen. So um, we've been looking for a new stadium for quite some time, as I'm sure you're well aware. In fact, we we passed one of the sites um, mm-hmm. when we were back in Aberdeen last month of, of where the new stadium could be. However, they've now decided the new stadium could be at the beach, not far from where the current stadium is. So this is from the Scottish Sun this week, and the headline is Don of the dead. (laughs) Aberdeen's new stadium plans could be wrecked by remains of plague victims as experts warn disease could resurface. So Aberdeen have spent years looking for a new home and we have, we genuinely have spent years. So much money has been wasted on trying to find this new stadium because our stadium is basically falling to bits but it's impossible to refurb it effectively because of the way uh, the ground is kind of hemmed in you can't rebuild any of the stands it's just impossible we spent years looking for a new home and they think they found a spot close to Aberdeen Beach, which is just beside where our current stadium is. But uh, former councillor Muriel Jaffrey thinks there could be massive problems in store because they'll be building on graves of black death victims. Uh, The granny, I don't know why that's important, um, who's on the planning committee for almost two decades, has been told the disease is still active for hundreds of years and is concerned about what could be dredged up. Muriel, 82, said, after everything we've been through with COVID, this is the last thing we need. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's the last thing we need, the plague coming back. Uh, The bodies, or what's left of them, of hundreds of plague victims are down there. This disease could still be active. They shouldn't be building anywhere near the remains. This could turn into a nightmare for everyone. Uh, Aberdeen was rocked by the plague at least three times, but it's thought that the worst incident came in 1647. Historians reckon around 1,700 people died and victims were stuck in huts close to the beach. Those that died were burned and buried in mass graves in the area. Uh, This is where Aberdeen want to create the replacement for ageing pitodry. It'll be part of a huge redevelopment area and plans are well underway. Um, uh, Councillor Muriel said that uh, the in the past a planning application was rejected because it would have involved disturbing the plague pits. Uh, she said, I spoke to someone at Edinburgh Council and they told me they will never build anything on plague graves. I don't understand why I'm the only person in this city who is worried about this. As far as I can see, it's not been raised or no issue has been spoken about and it makes no sense to me. She is calling on officials to make a full investigation before any work is done. She also added, I was taught about the plague pits when I was at school. It's an important part of history. Maybe the people at the council don't know about it. Aberdeen City Council has been asked for a comment. So poor Muriel, she's the only person that cares about this. I mean, she's 82, so we don't have to worry about that too much longer. But... uh, I I do love that. (laughs) After everything we've been through with COVID, this is the last thing we need. The plague coming back. Like, (sighs) The Walking Dead could be real. I mean, we were in Aberdeen last month and it 
almost looked like The Walking Dead, <laughs> some of the places we went to. It could actually become a, a real thing, Greg. I mean, the, the article said that people who died of the plague in Aberdeen were burned and then buried. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I'm no microbiologist, <laughs> but, you know, like a, it's not like a body that's been burnt and underground for 300 plus 400 plus years no about almost 400 years you know i can't imagine that that uh that the germs are still going to be active that cause the black death <laughs> do you do you really want to take that risk though <laughs> i mean do you really want a chance that after everything we've been through with covid do you really want a chance the plague coming back <laughs> i mean okay we might get a lovely nice new eighteen thousand seat stadium with padded seats but is it worth the plague coming back <laughs> i mean what's next typhoid <laughs> i think typhoid is still active in some parts of the world um well because they didn't burn the bodies that's why yeah <laughs> Or bury them in typhoid pits. Um, I mean, they, over the years, Aberdeen and not everybody in Aberdeen, but there is definitely there is definitely quite a stoic group of people in Aberdeen that are against any big changes. You know yeah. what I mean? And this yeah. has to be one of the more inventive uh, reasons behind an objection to something that I've heard uh, in Aberdeen. You know, I can remember people objecting the objecting the bendy buses we spoke about them before objecting the yeah. bu objecting bus lanes the drive-through which had been planned since the 1950s only opened about four or five years ago not the drive-through sorry the bypass when I mean, they you know st nicholas house that everybody seemed to agree was fucking hideous and had to come down especially when it's right opposite the beautiful Marshall College. Yeah. You know, it, had to, it, it, it had to come down. So they knocked it down and built something else, which arguably isn't as nice as Marshall College, but it's just basically a glass building. Yeah. Everyone's everyone's against that as well. So I think, you know, there's a, there's definitely a pocket of people in Aberdeen that uh, just don't like big changes to their city and their voices are very much louder than the people who are quite happy to see new and exciting things coming to, coming to Aberdeen. I mean, Muriel Jaffrey is obviously, uh, she knows a lot about the plague and, and COVID as well, obviously. Do you think she could be um, considered a disease connoisseur? <laughs> Maybe she is. She's, well, she's certainly lived long enough to have seen a few in her times, you know, so... <laughs> I don't. I don't want to make assumptions, but I know Muriel's a, f a former councillor. She's probably used to being quite busy and quite involved. She's obviously retired at the at the age of eighty two, and uh, you know she's just trying to get involved to some extent. You know. Well, good luck to Muriel. Um, I, I hope the stadium does go ahead there. It probably won't, but we'll <laughs> see what happens. But if we do bring up the the dead, then you can uh, you can say I told you so. I don't think the Black Death like reanimates corpses. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I don't think like we're going to have like zombies like bursting through the touchline at Petodre, uh, where you know at the start of the season once the stadium opens or anything like that. You know, Greg, if they buy a ticket, I'll be more than happy to because it'll help bump up the crowds. So if the undead want to come back and fill up seats, as long as they buy a pie and buy a program and they get a seat, then I'm more than happy for zombies to. Attend Petodri. <laughs> anyway, good luck, Muriel. Uh, what else have you seen this week, Greg? Um, well, 
it's another cannabis story, and I, I never set out to find uh, stories all about drugs this week. It just happened to be the best, right? The best two stories that I found were I'm just a, a cannabis news connoisseur this week. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, and the thing is, it's, it's not even so much the drugs; it's it's the reaction of the guy who is arrested that made me chuckle. So it's from the Scottish Sun on the twenty fourth of June. The headline says, "Nicked cops bust seventy k cannabis farm after they smell the cultivation opposite the police station." Um, <laughs> a plasterer caught running a seventy thousand pound cannabis cultivation. Directly opposite a police station has been jailed. Uh, Paul McCann, 41, was caught after officers saw him loading power tools into a transit van which was parked near their base in Wishaw in Lanarkshire. They noticed a strong smell of cannabis coming from a building and they asked him to take them to it. But as they approached the unit, McCann became visibly nervous before fainting. (laughs) Officers later searched the fully kitted out building and discovered 118 fully grown cannabis plants worth a maximum of £71,000 along with 99 seedlings worth £500. Experts estimated the commercial operation would have cost £23,000 to set up, with fans and other equipment needed to grow the Class B drug. A further investigation of McCann's mobile phone revealed he had been involved in obtaining the equipment for the cultivation. McCann of Blantyre in Lanarkshire appeared at Hamilton Sheriff Court and admitted producing cannabis back in June 2020. He also pled guilty to being concerned in the supply of cannabis between April and June 2020. Uh, Sheriff Andrew McIntyre reminded him in custody ahead of sentencing next month. The Deputy Fiscal, Abby Seal, said police attended the locus, which is directly across from Wishaw Police Station. They noted a Ford Transit van directly next to the station and observed the accused placing power tools in the van. They detected a strong smell of cannabis and detained the accused for the purpose of a search. They also noted them be in possession of a set of keys for the van and the property, and as they approached the building, the accused became extremely nervous before fainting. In the building, they observed a large cannabis cultivation operation and the accused was arrested. His phone was seized and it revealed that he'd been involved in the buying the equipment. Uh, Laura Kiernan, who was uh, Paul's brief, said he appreciates the predicament that he finds himself in. <laughs> Sheriff McIntyre said these charges are exceptionally serious and that will be made plain to you. The commercial nature and the sheer value of the material recovered and your involvement in the production of cannabis means you'll be remanded in custody. So my thought when I read this story was, and because Paul fainted, I don't think Paul is the brains behind the operation, but I'm pretty sure that Paul was going to take all the heat for it. (laughs) He's obviously been waiting to be caught, and he's probably gone through the moment when he's been arrested so many times in his mind that when the moment's actually happened, it's made him pass out. Now, did he actually faint, or did he pretend to faint? Well, Because of the... Because you have to think, the police are, he's like, oh, oh, I've taken a funny turn. So what are we thinking, The um, this gentleman, you don't think he's the, the brains behind the operation? There's a, a bigger story behind this, and he's just the fall guy. For sure, and he'll, he will know what will happen to him. If he sticks anybody else in, mm. you know, so he's he's all. I I think that he has perhaps not been a hundred percent willing to do this, but still willing enough to do it and probably take the money that he would been given to do it and stuff. And like I said, he's been he's been nervous about it. He's sort of been waiting to get caught all the time, or maybe it's another way. Maybe he thought that the building was a hundred percent secure. And there was no way that he could get caught in the shock of the police uh, huckling him has caused him to faint. Is that massively brave or massively stupid? 
to set up a little cannabis farm across the road from a police station. And why, they said, they were suspicious that he was putting power tools into his van. If I see someone putting power tools into a van, I'm not suspicious. However, obviously they said they could smell it. a whiff of cannabis, <laughs> yeah. but they, they must have been on to him for a while. Like, you don't be like, oh, he's putting tools into a van. When I see my DHL driver putting parcels into his van, I don't think, hmm, wonder if he's got a weed farm. Like, <laughs> Just across the road. Like, surely they must have been on to him for a while for that. I think there, the police evidence is a bit shaky there in well, terms of the power tool. I'd, yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe his van was right outside the building and the smell was, and maybe they saw him coming out the building or something like that, or they. I don't know. But anyway, I think they've got all the evidence they need to secure a conviction. So, <laughs> well, they have the security conviction. Think, do you think his van's like painted like the mystery machine or something? And it's all like <laughs> Scooby snacks and smoke coming out of it. Yeah. And that's why they were suspicious. Maybe maybe it's because he was wearing a massive pair of purple flares and he had this huge like Great Dane <laughs> in his van as well. It's <laughs> Power tools were an industrial weed grinder. And that's why And a massive bong. And some scales for weighing bike parts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair play. So uh so yeah, what's happening to him? Is he getting sentenced or Yeah, he's been he's been remanded. Um which which usually means that a custodial sentence is in the post. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's poor Paul. Anyway, what's your next story this week? Would you call yourself a fanatic of any band, Greg? E- well, yes. I mean, like, I've been, a, I guess, The Who are a band that mm-hmm. I've always been a very, very enthusiastic about. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe um, like The Pixies and Talking Heads. Okay. So let's say The Who, because they're still, they're still all going. Well, 50% of them are still alive, yes. (laughs) 50%, yeah. So if they were... Have you ever seen The Who live? No, no. Okay, so if you were going to go and see... You would pay 70 quid to go and see The Who, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I suppose. That's That's about as much as I would pay to go and see them because... I'd rather be able to go back in time to see them when they were young and stuff, you know. Obviously, that's impossible. (laughs) Okay, well, from the Scottish Sun this week, a Green Day fanatic refused to fork out £70 to see the band, so he donned a high-vis vest and snuck in. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You can't call yourself a fanatic, but then you're saying you wouldn't pay 70 quid. So anyway, uh, this is David McCallum, who spent ages planning on how the best way to dodge his way into the packed Glasgow gig was. So uh, this week, earlier this week, Green Day played uh, Bella Houston Park. Have you ever been to a gig at Bella Houston Park, Greg? Yeah, we went to see uh, Coldplay there years ago. Um, yeah, I was. I went to see Coldplay at Bella yeah, Houston. Y- you were there. You were there on a different day. I think they played like two or played like two days. I think. Ah, uh, yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, Okay, Uh, so anyway, this is David, um, who pretended, so he he worked out the perfect disguise to make it look like he was a workie and uh, tried to turn up at the busiest time. He showed up to Bella Houston armed with McDonald's wrappers, so Cruz would think that he just returned from his break. It appeared to go like a dream. And he claimed he waltzed in without anyone taking a second glance at him. David, who is also known as a wrestler called (laughs) Ravy Davy, uh, (laughs) said on TikTok, So I got right in, right through the back, 
nobody even blinked a fucking eyelid. <laughs> that was fucking class, man. Snuck my way into the green day by wearing a high-vis man. Quality man. <laughs> As part of his plot, Davy stuck on a hard hat but ditched it because he feared it might be too much. He also uh, convinced punters, with two of them asking for directions and if it was okay if they could drink beer. He did plan to ditch his high-vis jacket, but he kept it on all night because he (laughs) wants to use it again. (laughs) But despite being drenched in sweat, he said it was worth it. I was a wee bit uncomfortable, but I saved myself a £70. (laughs) <laughs> I knew it was going to be murder wearing it all night, but there's not a fucking chance I'm getting rid of that jacket. <laughs> it's my good luck charm for future gigs and stuff. That's one of the top three concerts I've ever been to. What, what are the other two? So Davey revealed that he missed out on the support acts because he thought it would be easier to get closer and get in if he went later in the day. So he said, oh, I wish I'd went for Fallout Boy and Wheezer and all, but <laughs> I thought... If I chanced it just before Green Day, maybe the staff would be so busy. Fans on social media called Davey a legend for sneaking (laughs) in, but some called him out and accused him of lying. One follower claimed that he really had bought a ticket to get in. Davey hit back with, No, I never. Why would I pay £70 to wear a big daft jacket and high-vis trousers? (laughs) Realise he wore the trousers as well. (laughs) Uh, So that's Davey, who... Literally, there's a photo of him with uh, his hard hat and his high-vis... Uh, outfit but obviously he ditched the the, the hard axe he thought it would be too much <laughs> he's literally gone up to the gig wearing a high-vis jacket and trousers and just snuck in <laughs> saying he's security i love the the attention to detail of he came back with mcdonald's wrapper so it looked <laughs> like he'd just come back from his break <laughs> beautiful have you, have you ever snuck into a gig no I think, like, i've no. never snuck in have you ever been thrown out of a gig no, but I know you have. Yeah, I have. Yeah, fucking ocean colour scene at the <laughs> exhibition centre. I fucking hated them ever since. Got done for crowd surfing. Seeing <laughs> done for crowd surfing. I, well, exactly. Yeah, I got um, thrown out for crowd surfing. It was like halfway through their set as well. I watched some of Glastonbury last week, and there were people sort of crowd surfing during um, like Supergrass, and even during like Paul mm. McCartney, people were uh, crowd surfing. Nobody was crowd surfing during TLC though. How do you crowd surf to the f- frog chorus? Like that must be a, <laughs> quite a. a Tough surf. Um, TLC, but no one was crowd surfing to waterfalls. No. That's a... No. Uh, but anyway, that's the uh, sneaking into a Green Day concert. Good on him. Yeah, good I'm on him. impressed. Yeah. yeah. So the next time he does that, he needs to go there bef- a few days before and bury a bottle of Buckfast, like that kid did at Transmit <laughs> last year, and then go and, go and dig it up. <laughs> yeah, it's a great idea, actually. Yeah, oh, that's a double whammy. Is that taking the piss though? If he does that, I think he's taking the piss anyway. So it's making <laughs> like the fact he's a mega fan, but he doesn't want to space, spend seventy quid on a ticket. But what's the, fair enough. What's I'd, the what's the most you would spend to go and see like Frank Turner or someone like that? Um, I mean, Frank Turner is a tricky one because he's is. Tickets aren't that expensive, really. But if we're talking, yeah, if he was playing... Well, I mean, the most I probably spent would have been... Um, I think the most I spent a ticket would have been about £150 wow. for Guns N' Roses. Right. In Dubai. But proper, yeah, yeah. but proper Axel slash yeah. proper Guns N' I did go and see Axel and Friends a few years earlier but yeah proper Guns N' Roses which was yeah slash Axel yeah I'm sure it was it must have been at least 150 quid a ticket in fact actually it was 300 because I had to buy my wife a ticket because she didn't want to go but yeah 
that's probably the most I've spent. I mean, it was worth it. It's a once in a lifetime. And if, of course, you're thinking, is this the only chance I'm ever going to get to see them live again? Because, you know, once Axel pisses Slash off again, then that's it. So <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of had to take the chance. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, incredible. But a lot of money to pay. Uh, I should have just worn a high-vis vest, though. Okay, um, anything else this week, Greg, that you uh, want to cover? Nope. Oh, okay. Right, before we uh, get on to what we're going to be talking about this week, let's have a little word from our sponsors. Fruit and fish and frozen foods, furnishings and fancy goods, clothing, gifts and wrapping paper, plants and sheets and Leo Sayre, children's wear and knitting rules, picture frames, alarms and tools, potions, lotions for your face. You'll get it all at the Marketplace. Over a hundred covered shops. The Marketplace, Savoy Centre, Sucky Hall Street. Okay, so it was your choice uh, this week, Nikki. We had, we had Local Hero on the last episode, but that was, we had decided on that kind of between us um, sometime before. So this is your kind of sort of proper first choice after a couple of weeks so why don't you introduce today's subject thank you very much greg well yes we did local hero last week and i kind of wanted to do another local hero as i said at the end of the last episode but this time i want to do the local hero of govan so we are going to be covering series one of rab c nesbitt from 1990. Uh, starting life as a recurring character in the sketch series Naked Video, which we have covered series one of on the Swally, um, available wherever you get your podcasts, the series centres around our titular hero, Rab C. Nesbitt, a drunken street philosopher from Govan in Glasgow, who chooses being unemployed and being a waster as a way of life. Although very much a comedy, the show does also deal with some very dark problems and daily life in one of Scotland's poorest areas. Uh, over the course of the series, it tackled issues such as alcoholism, unemployment, domestic violence, and a lot of other very serious topics. Uh, Rab is joined by his long-suffering wife Mary and his sons Gash and Wee Barney, and of course his best mate Jamesy Cotter. I think Rab is a Scottish institution. And Greg, what are your first thoughts and first memories of Rab C. Nesbitt? Well, I had seen the character on Naked Video because like, my mum, uh, my stepmum and my dad, well, they were right into Naked Video um, and they used to they, they used to record them. My, my dad would record them off the telly so he had like a few tapes of of Naked Video, you know, like you used to do. Yeah. So I remembered Rab C. Nesbitt on Naked Video. Like When the TV show came out, I was living in England with my mother and my stepdad. And I remember, I think the first episode that I saw of the TV show, I think, was Drink, the one in this first series, um, when okay. Rab's trying to dry out. And my mother absolutely hated it because so okay. close, close, my, my cousins had come down from Glasgow uh, to stay with us and um, and they were they had been watching it at home. Uh, not not quite as strict a regime in my auntie and uncle's house as there was <laughs> in my house. And they were, oh, Auntie Mary, can we watch her? We watched our program, so we watched that first episode. But my mum didn't watch it all; she just watched bits of it, and she didn't like it. She was she she thought that it gave Glasgow a bad name. Um, and I watched for my research for the podcast. I watched um, the episode of the BBC's Comedy Connections about Rab C. Nesbitt. Mm. Yeah, and my my, uh, my mother doesn't appear to have been alone. <laughs> No, no, I also watched the same episode and yeah, yeah. it does appear that um, a lot of people in Glasgow weren't keen on Rabsy Nesbitt because they thought it gave the city a bad name. I mean, I, I remember Glasgow at that time and, and 
there's an episode in this first series that uh, touches on it, but you know, I think I've spoken before about how the city was going through, especially the city centre, going through like a massive change. They did the they had the Glasgow Garden Festival in 1988. They had just been awarded City of Culture in 1990. Because I mean, like I remember Glasgow City Centre when I was a little boy of being populated at times of the day by people not dissimilar to Rabsy Nesbitt, only, you know, just like, it always seemed that the city centre was full of drunks, because the pubs used to shut at two o'clock, and then open again Mm. in the evening, and Mm. so I guess these would be sort of uh, career boozers that would be in the pub for opening, and then... Sometimes you would sometimes get them. They would come out and like beg or busk for money, so they had money for the pub re- for the pub reopening. When I say busk, it was usually a hanky on the ground and some intelligible song being sang while they clapped their hands. So you know, so like the, the character was there was a, an element of familiarity. But I remember being quite like scared to go into town when I was wee, mm. um, just because of all these fucking drunk guys that just seemed to be everywhere. But then you, mm. you don't see them so much. I guess, I guess they've sort of died out um, and the city centre's become a lot more cosmopolitan over the years. Um, but, you know, that the, the kind of beginnings of that respectability and that sort of cosmopolitan uh, kind of European city centre, I think, kind of started in 1990, which I suppose wasn't very good timing for, for the Rabsy Nesbitt show. <laughs> Is it because the pubs are open all day now? Maybe that's why you don't see them so much on the streets. Well, that's quite possible, yeah. That's quite possible. <laughs> we said this when we watched uh, City Lights, again, mm. available wherever you get your podcasts, and I used to watch City Lights with my mum. I used to watch Rabsy Nesbitt with my mum, and we loved it. Mm. And watching this back now, City Lights is a lot more lighthearted, kind yep. of funny humour. This is quite, I'm quite surprised my mum watched this with me, but we used to absolutely love it. And I had, this is back in the day, the BBC would release a series on VHS, but yep. it was only three episodes you'd get on one VHS. So I had the first three episodes that we're going to be talking about today. So I had uh, Work, Rat and City of Culture. And it was in a a green, like it was a white VHS, but like green neon kind of writing, the Rhapsody Nesbitt and Gregor Fisher on the the front cover. And my uncle had the second three episodes, which was Mm. pink neon, which was quite a strange choice, I would think, for 1991, like when it would have come out in VHS. Um, So he had the other three episodes, um, Drink, Off, Ski and Holiday. And we did used to swap occasionally but i watched that vhs so many times like and now i i haven't watched this in you know, 25 years probably mm-hmm. and watching it again now i could have literally recited word for word those first three episodes second three episodes not so much but yeah. i'm still very familiar with them but those first three episodes i could i could tell you exactly you know little things like when Rab saying like, oh, see me, see the sea. I love the see me. <laughs> or, you know, a rat in a hat sitting on a mat. And yeah. um, when Jamesy says, I'd rather pickle my sex organs in vinegar and Rab says, oh, there'll be some queer seafood around the pubs in Govan this weekend. <laughs> Those are the lines that I just instantly remember. And I must have been like 11, 12 watching this. Yeah. But it just, it, it resonated. And, and it seems odd thinking back that my mum was like, let's laugh at the drunken Scottish man. Because yeah. essentially, if you look at Rabsy Nesbitt on the whole, and this is, when I, I, I lived in England for a year 
um, in Norwich, of course, as we've we've spoken about in the smiley. And that was what anyone would ever say to me. The two things were Rabsy Nesbitt, deep fried Mars bar. And even when I lived in Dubai, if if you are English, the one thing they would well, the two things they would say to me would be Rabsy Nesbitt, deep fried Mars bars. If you weren't English, and of course in Dubai we have a lot of multicultural people, it it's Braveheart. That's mm-hmm. the thing they go to. But English people it's Rabsy Nesbitt. And because he is a he's a, a hero of Scotland in that way. And so say it it's easy to to put this series as a drunken man ranting about stuff, but this series covers a lot of very heavy topics in a humorous kind of way, but it, it does it in a very sensitive way as well, if that makes mm. sense. I mean, even in this first series alone, we we cover like like long-term unemployment and marriage trouble. Govan being rejuvenated and the the people of govern being upset about this happening and getting all the trendies coming in we cover the topic of europe and and corrupt government alcoholism scottish homelessness in london and of course the scots abroad and the way that the scottish and well the british are perceived abroad this this covered a lot of heavy topics for the time but in a a light-hearted kind of way. Yeah, I mean, I was about, you know, I hadn't watched this for, I mean, maybe even longer than uh, 25 years. And I remember, I was a little, because when we did Naked Video, uh, so I think it was December 2020, um, if anyone mm. wants to go back and, and listen to that episode, some of the humour in the sketches didn't always land because I guess you know jokes can can sometimes go a bit out of style. Not because, not just because they can to be perceived as being politically correct or whatever, but sometimes they're jokes about things that were happening at that time, you know. Um, so when we came to when we were, I set out to watch this, I was a wee bit worried about you know maybe not enjoying it as much and or some of the humour being a bit like you know a bit old fashioned or whatever. But I was I was actually really surprised. And the thing is, I was just, you know when I watched this when I was a kid, the bits that made me laugh were like you know like Rab sticking the heat on somebody or um, yeah, yeah. or or you know or him lying in the gutter pissed or. About biting the head off a rat or something like that. Mm-hmm. The 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 sort of the that you touched on the sort of more uh, the kind of the the elements of it that are more about social commentary were kind of lost on me when I was at that age, you know. But and you know, if we're being honest, neither of us are probably probably should probably old enough to be watching it, you know, back in those days. Um, no. but um, made me think, you know, they would a would a series like this, like dealing with these kind of issues, get commissioned. Now you know what no. I mean. I can't think of a of because it's it's essentially a sitcom, and yeah, I can't, it I can't, is. Yeah. I, can't, I can't think of a modern sitcom. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a modern sitcom. <laughs> to be quite honest, I think the um that I, I also watched that Comedy Connections episode, and I think someone makes a reference to Alf Garnet, and yeah, you know, Alf Garnet was just a fucking mad okay. racist. Yeah, bigot. I I don't know. I haven't watched. In sickness and health for years, so I don't know if it. I, I, I presume it doesn't stand up, but you know what I mean. Rab, he rants and he's drunk, but everything he says kind of makes sense. And he's not, you know, for this being nineteen ninety, and it's exactly as you said. When I was a kid, I laughed at him sticking a meal for one down his pants in Gateway. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. and stuff. And then, however, I'm now getting older, I appreciate that I'm saying, like, you know, these people that live around here are the types of people that get um, four portions out of a Marks and Spencer's ocean pie. Yeah. Like, that's, like, I wouldn't have found that funny in the day. And then when he's in that shop and he's saying, um, why don't you just black me up and send me out to pick cotton? Yeah. Like, that would have flew well over my head when I was a yeah. kid. But now I appreciate it and I, I kind of laughed at it. But I'm also like, Jesus, what a social statement to make in 1990. Mm-hmm. And that whole episode, um, Rat, is, okay, it's about it's about the Tories and kind of, you know, and the politics in Glasgow. But it's also about the gentrification of Govan yeah. and all these people. And that, it's a beautiful scene. It's so funny when he's... Um, they find the rat in the house and Mary's like, where does it come from? And he opens the curtain. He's like, I know where it's come from. It's those trendies coming over the water and this eerie music plays. And Mary's <laughs> just like, stop all that shite. Like, <laughs> and he's just straight away, does the council not come round about this window? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's only been three years. Would you just help me get rid of the rat? Christ knows where they're coming from. Where they're coming from? I know where they're coming from. I know where they're coming from. Here's the trendies. They're bringing them in. They're bringing them in across the water. Oh, don't start all that again. Has the council not come about that window yet? Give them a chance. I only rung them three years ago. It's a beautiful social statement, but so cleverly done and so funny, but went way over my head as a kid. But watching it now as an adult, it's it's so that the, the, that episode is also it, as much as it's as much as it's about the gentrification of Govan and the Clyde side. It also kind of preempts the gentrification of the Labour Party about. Mm. Yeah. You know, like a good few years before Tony Blair and everything, you know, like with the the Labour candidate. You're right. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I, I, I did not think about that. You're completely right. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. incredible. I think what, you know, where, where I think the kind of comparison with Alf Garnet until death do us part sort of falls down is that I've, I've read a bit about... Uh, Johnny Spigot, who wrote Till Death Do His Part and stuff. And, and I've seen him being interviewed. And his intention was always to make fun of people like Alf Garnet. That but you know, I think that element of it over the years has sort of been lost. And, you know, and he, he, I think in some circles, Alf Garnet's almost like a bit of a, a sort of figurehead for, you know, that those types of politics. But I think mm. with, with Rab, you know, I think what Ian Patterson does incredibly well and much more effectively than what was done with Alf Garner is that, you know, Alf, uh, Rab is aware of his sort of failings in life. You know what I mean? Like he, he, he openly admits to being scum. He openly admits to loving his lifestyle uh, of not working and claiming his dough money. He knows that it's not the right way to live. You know what I mean? He, he knows that, you know, he, he loves Mary uh, for the fact, you know, for all that he doesn't treat her the way that I guess husbands should treat their wives. Um, but he loves, he, he loves his kids, although he slaps them about the head and stuff like that. But he also is very self-aware. You know what I mean? That the character's very self-aware of exactly what he is, and it doesn't—it doesn't really glory in it. You know? No, but he's a, a drunken 
street philosopher, as you yeah. said. And especially in the work episode, he is, you know, I will neither work nor want. And <laughs> he's very adamant, like, I am a waster. I've always been a waster. And <laughs> yeah, like my father before me. <laughs> yeah, that's what he wants to do. And that's his his kind of, when he goes to the job centre, um, do you recognise that was the... Um, Techie teacher from Grange Hill. That was the. Um, I didn't recognize. I, I couldn't place him. Like I've, I recognized his face, but I, I, I couldn't place him. Mid era Grange Hill, like uh, maybe early nineties. He was like the technical teacher. Eighteen years you've been unemployed, and he's like, yeah, but you know, it's fine. I'm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's the way it is. That's his profession. He's a waster, a born yeah. to be a waster. I think you've, yeah, made a very valid point in terms of the. He is very self aware. Mm. And that's what he wants to do, and that's the way he's happy being. And as you say, he loves Mary. He adores Mary. Like as I say, the first episode when he Mary leaves him, and what an opening to uh, the first episode of a show. And Rab is like, I went out three do- days ago to get a. What is it? In fact, he's like she sausage sent me out meat. to get. A, she sent me out to get a pun of sausages. I meet a friend three days later. Oh well, I just love the entrance he makes. Uh, when he comes into the house and he's singing, he's like, "Ask me back, Mary." <laughs> you know, like just like she's been just waiting for him to come back. You know, like it's all excited that her man's come home and everything, and like not thinking for a second that she's going to be absolutely furious. And then instant, you're getting into the family of wee Bernie sitting there dressed up as Mary, and then <laughs> yeah. shoots the photo of his dad with the air gun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, the other thing about this series, which, you know, on that comedy connections, like they, they interview Alan Yentob and they talk about how, I mean, it, it was it was immediately broadcast in England, mm. whereas I suppose the next big successful Scottish sitcom would be still game after Rabs and yeah. Nesbitt. And I know that it took a good few years to be shown in England. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, Rab was was on straight away. But, you know, for, for the fact that they were making something that they weren't sh- very sure about, they weren't sure if, you know, if it was going to be successful or whatever. But the BBC has given them the budget to film in Spain. I mean, like, for most, for most like, TV shows, the overseas episode doesn't come until the second or third series when they're sure that it's gone down well. They can spend a bit more on the production. But the very last episode, they've gone to Spain and it's like they've thought, well, might only get one shot at this, so let's just spend all the money. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, but that episode uh, when they go to Spain is perhaps the one that, for whatever reason, always springs to mind, to my mind, whenever I think about Rab Sinez. But and that, there was some, I've seen that one quite a lot, and I was a bit like you, there was some lines in that where I, I, I knew they were coming, and I could almost quote them off, you know? The the beauty of that episode, the, there's so many great lines when Rab's like buying his trousers, and when he's like, eh, a daily record, eh, el Scottish rago, like, it, it, <laughs> Greeting face Scottish rago. <laughs> ah, greeting face Scottish rag. <laughs> the um, the pinnacle of that episode surely has to be when he's having a rant at the English, and you know, and they shout back, you know, piss off you jock or something. Yeah. Says, ah, he's in one of his rants, and then just turns around and sees Spanish rab. Like <laughs> yeah. that is just. <laughs> It's just beautiful. 
he, um, <laughs> giving it over the balcony, you know, back to him. It's just, oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's a great scene. Like he was saying, Gregor Fisher, that a lot of, because the guy that played Spanish Rab was like a local photographer who took photographs of the food <laughs> for menus. He says quite a lot of it was kind of ad-libbed, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, to speak about Gregor Fisher, I mean, he obviously is rap scene expert and we watched the the comedy connections show like he didn't want to do the no. role it was basically just kind of happened to come across and he's like i don't want to learn this monologue it's going to be shite and all of a sudden it just took off and it, it was funny the clip they showed was from the first series of naked video and the very first sketch and that was the the instant i burst out laughing of watching the uh the rap scene expert sketch the, the the clip they mentioned i can't even remember what it was now but um uh it's not the one it's not the one when he's so i think it was on the it was on the episode that we did on naked video he's kind of walking along charing cross yeah talking it, about it, politicians it, it comes out with this just one line that mm. is just absolutely incredible and burst out laughing but then yeah it became a hit and of course then he gets in to do the series, but you kind of get the feeling he never liked doing rap, but it's obviously made him a lot of money. And But Gregor Fisher is a very accomplished actor mm. as well. You know, to be able to, to play rap, and it takes a, a hell of an actor to play drunk convincingly as well. Yeah. And you you genuinely believe he is drunk in, in most of the, the scenes that, he, that he's in. But yeah, hell of an actor to do that. I mean, I suppose... You know, he's, he's sort of kind of carrying the show because with, without him, there is no show. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I saw when he turned down the second uh, touring show, mm. it's the second live show. And Tony Roper does admit to being a bit upset with him about it because he had, yeah. he had, turned, he had, he had turned some stuff down assuming they were going to do it. You know, I think, I mean, what was it? He said that he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to think we needed another drunk character um you know from glasgow but you know i suppose like for these guys they, you know no matter how they feel about it they've, they've sort of got to do it if it's successful i mean he, he's gone he, he went from acting with like john hurt and richard burton in 1984 you know what i mean and a lot of other no. serious drama and i think as well he was he was worried about sort of getting typecast as well right you know, um, oh, yeah, you have to, yeah, think about that. But I mean, he, I mean, he was still playing the character. I mean, they, they did another series of Rabsy Nesbitt, maybe what ten years ago, something like that. Well, it came back. They um they did it from nineteen ninety to uh, nineteen ninety nine, and that's mm-hmm. when Gregor Fisher decided to call it a day. And then they took it back in the mid two thousands, um, and they did like I, I think it was like maybe four specials yeah maybe they that's... did kind of like one-off kind of like almost like an only fools and horses kind of one-offs um but yeah it's been a good few years since there has been anything but i mean i mean rab's still alive so could mm-hmm. potentially make a comeback at any time but yeah, yeah. they um decided yeah because gregor in 1999 decided that he'd um he'd had enough and that was no war. Yeah. Um, I think that was what you're harking back to. Like he did call all the cast personally to say to them, "Like that's I'm done." As you say, without him, there's no show. They mm. can replace. I mean, like we Bernie obviously left, um, and they kind of replace him further yeah. down the line. But we're not talking about that because we're only talking about the the first series. Yeah, it's obviously got Gregor Fisher, and then I mean Elaine C. Smith as as Mary Doll. Yeah. She's just a wonderful character, and I do love the fact that and and they said that on the Comedy Connection show. Like if she doesn't give it back to him, 
there's no character there. She yeah. has to give as good as she gets, and she does. Mary Daw, like the first episode when she, the end when she gives Dorothy Paul the severe <laughs> Malky and just sticks the heat on her. That's just that's Mary Doll. Like yeah. she's a wonderful character. Yeah, she's really good. You know, they obviously Billy Lindsay Smith is is doing two doors down now on the BBC. That's me saying that I couldn't think of a an, another of a, of a modern sitcom, and we've got a really mm. good one in Scotland at the minute. Yeah. But even then, like although the humour in Two Doors Down can be quite blue and quite quite near the bone sometimes, you know, the the characters are all sort of redeemable. You know what I mean? Whereas I think yeah. with um with, with Rab, well, I suppose he's kind of redeemable as well. And so's uh, and so's Mary. Yeah, but the, you know, but still, like you know, they, they sort of go right to the edge. And yeah, Elaine C. Smith's just brilliant, and she always makes. I, mean, I can think of lots of women like her, kind of grown up, like, like women who are who are like hard as fuck because <laughs> because they kind of had to be, you know, they sort of ha- hard lives, kind of grown up, you know, like uh, sort of deprived families or try to hold deprived families together or married to husbands that are fucked off and all that kind of thing and like they're always like brutally brutally honest <laughs> even yeah. even with somebody that they've just met you know like us most of us would sort of kind of keep our opinions on people to their faces to ourselves you know when we first meet them but these kind of women you know if you can imagine Mary if you met her and she didn't like your shirt she'd say oh I don't like that shirt you're wearing son <laughs> you know the very first time she meets you <laughs> I, I think that's the thing as well because as they touched upon in that comedy connection show the um in Naked Video, the first time you really see Mary, she does have a black eye and you're led to believe, obviously, Rab's given it to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, the series of Rab's in bit, you never think, you always think Mary has got the upper hand of Rab. Yeah. Like, she would kick his fucking arson and yeah. he would let her. Rab would never raise a hand to uh-huh. Mary. And I think that's, uh, for 1990, you know, it's a it's a wonderful way that they've depicted that. He's a drunken arsehole, but he's, he, he loves his wife so much. And yeah. as you say, he loves his kids, but yeah, Bernie uh, gets a fair bit of dish. And I'd love every time, Eric Cullen, every time he gets hit or, <laughs> you know, gets his sweatband smacked, his, his physical reaction to that <laughs> is hilarious he's such oh he's so good like it's a it's a shame uh yeah it's obviously a, passed the hard away, life, didn't but, yeah yeah he had a really hard life such a shame and i i love the the fact that when they spoke about it on that show that andrew and eric they they met them and they kind of woven their characters into the characters so yeah you know andrew was a little bit more educational and philosophy and stuff whereas uh-huh. eric was like a cheeky wee shit and yeah, yeah. that's what they drew into barney and i think if most things i i would have said from my earlier watching rab it would have been rab and barney were my two favorite characters yeah kind of, as an adult now obviously it's rab and jamesy like yeah, yeah. jamesy but i'd loved barney when i was a kid maybe because he was a, a cheeky wee kid and yeah um i mean to go on to tony roper as jamesy i mean he's he's absolutely brilliant but there's a there's there's something he says in the first episode that i mean i guess you know like things work out differently as characters were established and whatnot but he he, he says something about when he's beating hell out of ella um yeah 
his wife. But then, of course, when Ella's introduced into the show, and I don't think we see her until maybe the second or third episode, right? Third episode episode? Uh, three, I think, yeah. Ella yeah, and like, she, she's clearly the dominant force in the Cotter household. <laughs> but then, did you not think the one thing that I... I felt a bit uncomfortable with is in the first episode they say the word bints about yeah. 20 times like <laughs> yeah. when they're referring to women oh these bints ah you see the bints you need to get the bints into order and I was a bit uncomfortable with the use of that word but you're right Jamesy does say he's kind of been smacking her about yeah. and then yeah oh yeah Ella takes no shit from Jamesy but then you're led to believe that Jamesy like cheats on Ella all the time because yeah. he's old snake hips caught her. The shagger. Yeah. <laughs> I love the, I mean, the character Jamesy. I mean, Tony Roper is a Scottish institution, wrote the, the steamy, which I really want to do for our new episode this year. Um, yeah for sure but he he just encapsulates that character so much in that blue blazer and i love it on the holiday episode where he's wearing a different color blazer because that's his holiday (laughs) blazer yeah but the the sag in his blue blazer because he's always got that iron brew bottle in with him yeah and in the episode third episode when they go to the pub and he asks for whiskey and Mm. you find out what that iron brew bottle is for because he (laughs) tops up his iron brew uh the whiskey with the iron brew yeah <laughs> like, like oh think, okay that's why he's got it I, th- I think it's got multiple uses that iron brew bottle <laughs> yeah could yeah. be actually yeah you're right it's also um, a straightener. but yeah he's a he's a fantastic character though james he's just an absolute as much as rab is your every man and a genuine street philosopher and and great guy jamesy is just a fucking utter scumball <laughs> and would sell your granny like when he's doing the bed breakfast buckfast oh, and, the, the uh, subculture tours and the yes. european city <laughs> here's your glasgow year of subculture here's your subculture tours ask me genial jamesy connor for further details here's your official subculture tours see the glasgow nobody knows come with me to a magical world of summonses mutton pies and knocked off gyro checks. What's a B&B and B? Bed, breakfast, and buckfast. Shall I try some? No, well in that case, why not live in with authentic scum? No, I don't think so. It's up to yourself, but you don't know what you're missing. Probably scabies. <laughs> Come on, Mo. That's just Jamesy. I mean, I, I really enjoyed that episode. Sort of all like all the way through it, you know. Just mm. you know, like, I, I forget the name of the actor who plays the Lord Provost. You know, at the mm. sort of start of the episode, and Rab's talking to him. And he's like, "Oh my God, look what's climbing! Look what's climbing up my leg!" <laughs> See, I can't remember his uh, his name either because I was too distracted by Freddie Bordley playing yeah. his subhand and Dave Anderson playing the French province <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Like, Wonderful appearance from Dave Anderson yeah. once again on the Swally. Uh, but yeah, the Lord Provost. Uh, it's a good episode that when they're talking about the when they're in the hospital and he's showing them the Rennie Macintosh rubber sheets. <laughs> it's got the jinx trolley. I would have only been nine years old, but I remember Glasgow being the European city of culture being a massive thing. And 
there was adverts on the TV all the time. And I, I do remember this being a, a huge occasion. How? How did well, Glasgow <laughs> come to be? And that episode, they have um, like shots of the city and all the signs and stuff. Beautiful. And they have shots in the, um, what is it? The shopping centre. The um, Princess, uh, Princess Square. Yeah. And it looks... It looks incredible. Like it looks beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was it was brand new Princess Square uh, round yeah. about then. It had been open a couple of years. I mean, I remember when I was wee, the sort of campaign was Glasgow smiles better, but it, it could also be read as Glasgow smiles better. Smiles um, better. Yeah, and um, they had Mister Happy from the Mister Men as the the sort of mascot, and they seemed to be everywhere when I was wee. And then, like as I said earlier on in the episode, they had the Glasgow Garden Festival down just up the road from Govan, funnily enough, um, in nineteen eighty eight, and that seemed to be a bit of a catalyst. You know, there were there was a lot of um, regeneration going on. Like they built those uh, new flats on the sort of north side of the river that I used to be able to see out the window when I worked at. Frankie and Benny's at the key, where where all the old shipyards used to be, the ones that uh, shut down and stuff up towards the city centre on the Clyde side, were all redeveloped and turned into housing estates and or restaurant leisure parks and whatever. So you know, I, I can remember it quite quite distinctly, uh, and it, it was a massive deal. Um, Glasgow becoming yeah. the, the European city of culture, and you know they they had up the sign European city of culture 1990 under the Welcome to Glasgow sign for an embarrassingly long time. <laughs> After 1990, it was it was uh, pretty much up until I think they hosted the Commonwealth Games in 2014. They were they could, you could still find uh, 1990 European City of Culture signs uh, kicking around the, the the city. And then in that episode, you have the beautiful. Well, the one thing that doesn't strike right with us in that episode is that they show a shot of the Duke of Wellington statue mm. and he doesn't have a cone in his head. It doesn't. Uh, but I'd imagine that would have been removed for the city of culture, obviously. Yeah, I think they made an effort to remove it up until the point where it kind of became a bit of an institution in itself and they just left it, you know. What's Rab got against Pavarotti? Because he's very angry about it. He's like, Pavarotti chips, expensive as fucking, full of fat. <laughs> and... Then when Pavarotti comes on the TV at the end of the episode, he's like, he might be live in Glasgow, but he's deed and govern. <laughs> and then he throws the TV out the window and it lands on Jamesy. Why is Rab so against that's... Pavarotti? It does seem like an overreaction. Um, I mean, I suppose Pavarotti was probably his most famous because he had done the anthem for the 1990 um, Nesta Dormer for 1990, 1990 World Cup. That was the sort of, that was the theme yeah, tune, was Yeah, it, it was, yeah. So he was at his, he was at the, he was at the absolute height of his pomp in 1990, Pavarotti. So at the end of the episode, City of Culture must have been one of your favourite parts. Gash in his Urwilly go kart is <laughs> Kirti, as we would call it. <laughs> yeah. uh, he comes and picks up Bernie. Did you ever have a Kirti like no, that? No, I can't say I did. I remember reading Urwilly and thinking it would be the best thing in the world to have a cart like that but uh no no i never ever had one what about you no, no never i always wanted one i remember pestering my uncle to build me one as uh, in the summer i used to when my mum was working i would stay with my grannies and my uncle lived there as well and i'd always pester him to build me a go-kart mm. but he never yeah. did <laughs> anyway um the sheer volume of scottish talent in this show is incredible i mean you have the main cast obviously but then 
looking at guest appearances, you have Matt Costello, Freddie Bordley, Andy Gray, Jonathan Watson, Jack mm. Milroy, Paul Coya, Dorothy Paul, Ron Donaghy, Dave Anderson, Jake Darcy, and Kenny Ireland. Incredible amount of Scottish talent. And Jack Milroy, of course, probably one of the best. I I remember him the most in terms of the, the stall seller in City of Culture. Yeah, with a dosser doll. <laughs> yeah, with a dosser doll. Yeah, brilliant. I was Francie from Francie and Josie. And Francie. It's incredible that he's in this. And to see him there, it's it's brilliant. But yeah, as you say, the dosser doll's fantastic. <laughs> and is that a Glasgow term? I'm kind of spoiling things maybe for the awards later, but when Rab's speaking about art and he says something about shite and onions... I've never heard that term before. Is that a Glasgow term or it's just something that he's just come up with? I, I don't, I think it's just something that he's come out with, oh, okay. I suppose. I don't know. Maybe maybe there was a lot of paintings about of onions kind of flying about back then. I can't remember. But um, yeah, no, I think it's just something that he came out with. I liked uh, I, I liked it when uh, him and James, they were supposed to be going to meet Ella and Mary to go at the Burrow collection to, to have a look at the burrows. <laughs> don't know how to get there. And the Peruvian pipe band, the guys from Paisley. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At the end of Rat, when they meet Clatty McCutcheon, who's the uh, one eye, one leg, plays the tin whistle and he's got a dog. Yeah. Is he playing yeah. Going Home on the tin whistle? Yeah, I think that. I was trying to think of that tune. It's a really famous, famous tune. Yeah, I thought it was Going right. Home, but I wasn't sure. Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'll try and find out. I think you're maybe right, though. I think it is I going think home. probably because we did Local Hero on the last episode, it's kind of stuck in my head mm. anyway, and it reminded me of it. And I thought, I'm sure that's Going Home, but it's definitely a tune that I recognised. Yeah. Um, I think. I, I mean, I think episode four... It's maybe my favourite episodes in this first series, uh, with the the one with the mm. heebie-jeebies, the <laughs> pink, pink elephant. Hello there, Rab. <laughs> you know, just, just sitting at the bottom of the stairs. It's but it's because it's a pink elephant wearing a pink flat bonnet <laughs> and a pink trench coat, which is sort of the the kind of Glasgow drinking man's uniform of like up until probably the nineteen nineties. <laughs> you know. That episode is brilliant, though, in terms of the the mastery of having this pink elephant and the fact that Jamesy, Andra, and Dodie give up the booze and join this white feather club together. <laughs> but mm. Rab sees the pink elephant, and of course the doctor as well. He's all about health, but ends up dying of a heart attack. That episode <laughs> is so good because, of course, Rab ends up giving up the booze, and then he gets pished, and he comes home to Mary, and he's like, "I've been a bad man." <laughs> yeah. She tans him for that. She starts to smash the bottle over his head. <laughs> it's offering to the doctor when he says that you've got a year to live, uh, you need to give up the booze. His his offering is, I'll start taking a bit of lime in my buck fast. <laughs> yeah. Will that buy me a few months? <laughs> <laughs> did you spot Norman Lovett popping up in that episode? I certainly did, yes, as Graham in the <laughs> support group. Yeah. That episode might have one of my favourite lines as well, when the doctor says to Rab that I've got the same waist size that I had when I was 21. Yeah. And Rab says, so do I. I've always been a fat bastard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, some, there's, some, there's some great lines in that episode. <laughs> do you remember in Aberdeen? Because the thing is, I mean, there was a sort of school of thought that would suggest that Glasgow sort of cornered the market on 
these types of characters. But do you remember in Aberdeen there was like a homeless guy with a big white beard that used to hang around the city centre. He was often around St Nicholas Square in the little lane that you would from St Nicholas Square that would take you up to the back of the still. But he was always he would always be around there, like maybe around sort of mid to late nineties. I remember seeing him having a fight with a guy one day in St Nicholas Square that I don't know what about. I think, I think somebody had kind of mugged him off and he started on him. But the, the thing I remember about him, remember there used to be a phone box at St Nicholas Square, just on the on Union Street, sort of almost yeah. on Union Street. And I remember yeah. coming out of the St Nicholas Centre, walking towards Union Street, and the phone box in front of me and there's like liquid sort of streaming out from the phone box. And when I got round, they, that guy's in there like having a pish in the phone box. And it's like, it's like lunchtime. Do you know what I mean? But it's just going on forever and ever. Just this like little river of like jakey pish like pouring into St. Nicholas Square. So, you know, you get these sorts of characters. Yeah, I can't say I remember that. (laughs) You know what I mean? You don't remember that guy? I don't know. Not really. No. I can't believe he didn't remember. He was a a bit of a sort of mainstay for a few years around there. He would would often beg for money on that wee lane that took you up to the, the illicit still. He'd be sitting there with a few guys. Probably. I mean, I would have made that way many a time because I'd have been going through to FOP. So yeah, yeah. Exactly, maybe I do yeah. know him, but I'll have to have a think about that. The other part that I love is in episode five of Ski. Um, the first part I need to take from this is when Rab comes out of that bus mm-hmm. station. That's the same bus station from Trainspotting, isn't uh, it? I think it is now you mention it. Yeah. It looks, mm. The street looked similar to where they come yeah, out. Yeah, I thought it was, but instantly I thought... But I love his interaction with uh, Hugh or Shug's wife when she's on the phone to Gash uh, or to Mary and saying, I can't understand what she's saying. I can't understand. Rob, Rob, it's for you. It's Mary. I think there's something wrong. Mary, how was she, ma? I don't know. I can't understand what she's saying. What? I said I can't understand what she's saying. Oh, it's no use, doll. I can't understand what you're saying. <laughs> She'll get a damn sight sicker of this before I will. I'll do you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I like it when, um, I do like it when Hugh regresses back to Shug when he's practising his putting in the living room and his wife yeah. just kind of pushes him too far. <laughs> <laughs> Smashes up the cuckoo clock, you know. But he's got the uh, the red phone, like the bat phone. In the <laughs> I know who's calling on that phone. Oh, yeah, it's like, oh, my name isn't Hugh, it's Chug. <laughs> why do why do we call people Hugh Chug? Like in Scotland, I don't know. The idea, well, I think because maybe because Hugh is H U G, so it's a bit like hug. And I guess it's maybe just when someone. Pished, try to pronounce Hugh or reading it. Shug, <laughs> it's just stuck. I, I, I don't know if I can. Maybe you're right. <laughs> Maybe I don't. Um, know. Did you ever win a holiday um, with tokens from Ovenchuk? <laughs> no, I never did, but I'm glad they did. <laughs> but it's a very 80s, 90s thing, isn't it? Yeah, 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 for sure. Sending away tokens to be him with a chance to win. You know, that was in the episode with the duvet as well. And, oh, yeah, um, when she bought it with cigarette coupons. She, yeah, I had, to smoke, I had to smoke like a laboratory beagle to get enough coupons to get, to get that duvet. <laughs> so like, well, a lot of money that you spent on fags, you could just buy a duvet. You know? You'll need to tell me this, um, if this is another Glasgow thing, because I wasn't sure, but one of my favourite jokes of the whole series is in the first episode when Bernie's left Rab. 
and Rab's come back from Gateway with his four pack of Carly special and Bernie's left a note on the table and continued inside the food cabinet. You're running out of (laughs) cornflakes. And then Rab sits down, hugging the four pack of Carly special, uh, singing Ali Bally B. Is that a Glasgow song? I'd never really heard that. Yeah, I remember, I remember that when I was wee, a sort of local nursery rhyme. I, I didn't realise that it was particular to Glasgow. I thought it was like I've a never thing. heard of it, no. But the, no. the cornflakes joke is just phenomenal, that you are running out of continued <laughs> inside the food cabinet. Uh, Rab, in the in Rat, the, the second episode, him um, waking up in a grave and then picking up the car exhaust and saying, well, that's good, that. It's a handy thing. That's a that's a very Scottish thing, isn't it? Just like finding yeah. something and like, oh, I could, I could find a use for that. I'll take that home. And then right enough, Mary does find a use for it when she batters him over the head. Um, <laughs> and also later in the episode, I like the, when they've left the two ways and Rab and Jamesy, they've got their chips and then they have a little fight and they <laughs> spill each other's chips yeah. and then it cuts back to a few minutes after and they're like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I like in that episode, you know, they, when they're reading the election results yeah. and it's it's and it, it's exactly like they do it on the BBC or on or whatever ITV, they, the comments exactly the same. It's, you know, it's like, ah, you know, Nicky Kemp, Labour, like 1,400 votes, you know what I mean? But I like it when uh, Jake Darcy, it, it, you know, he's the he's the conservative candidate and they're, <laughs> they're reading out his name and he's going in there, take a swatch at our Stoughton discounts every shop because <laughs> he's the token Tory. But it shows the, um, in that, sketch did you pick up on the so they've obviously voted snp to fuck over their main yeah. gav yeah and when they read out the results like wait a minute there's only three votes difference <laughs> yeah. there's four of us and then jake darcy conservative one vote all the best yeah. rab cheers so it came down to your four votes in terms of this election <laughs> i think how rab sort of looks sideways when <laughs> the guy gets his one vote uh, when no sorry when dodd work you know he, he's doing the sums on the the three and the four votes also in that episode my favorite lines is when uh the I think is it the SNP or is it the Labour candidate comes round to the house and at the doorway and just like uh, how do you feel about women's rights and Mary's like I need to ask my man Rab <laughs> yeah. how do I feel about women's rights and then Rab comes and he says can you kill rats or fix windows no well bugger off I'm no interested <laughs> did you ever read the book that Ian Patterson wrote A Stranger Here Myself I did and mm. I meant to read it again before recording that um i checked it on amazon i have the hardback edition i do and it yeah, goes it's um have, have you looked it up on amazon no 185 pounds wow for that hardback. wow the the main thing i remember i think it's in the first chapter obviously have rab as a fetus and he says something like i, I can't understand my parents they must be like inarticulate or scottish or something <laughs> Um, and then the the main bit I remember is when he says he was like, "I'm trying to dodge the coat hanger coming at me." <laughs> <laughs> I need to read that again. Yeah, 
Okay, should we should we put Rab through anything else on Rab? Should we put him through the awards? Um, yeah, let's put him through the awards and see how we get on. I think we've covered everything uh, in terms of the, the episode. So, all right. So the first award is the Bobby the Barman Award for the best pub. Now, for a program that's about a sort of semi-functioning alcoholic, there's only one pub in it. <laughs> yeah, but it's the two ways. It's a yeah. That's the only pub you need. It's the only one they would go to. I know, but you think you might you, you might have an episode of him in a pub in the city centre, or you know, we 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 see Rab and Jamesy walk into that Spanish pub. So we'll just have a couple. We don't want to get too True. drunk in the first night. <laughs> True. Um, so the two ways. Uh, yes, I would drink in the two ways. I would love to have a pint in the two ways. Yeah. With, uh, would you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right up my street. I don't think I'd have the smoked salmon sandwiches though. Especially if no. they've come out of James's trousers. <laughs> no, he thought he was his get was getting chased by the Labour Party <laughs> down the street, but he, he shot himself. He, he almost shot himself because he thought it was a DSS. <laughs> Dodd says, "You nearly shot. It's, 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 it smells like it's a bit more than nearly, <laughs> or something like that." <laughs> okay, so the next award is the Ewan McGregor Award for gratuitous nudity. There's only really one bit, and that's for the topless woman. On the beach, yeah, in holiday, yeah, and it is very <laughs> yeah. gratuitous. This is what this award yeah. was named for. It is, but then it does lead to that beautiful speech of um, yeah. Rab and Mary. <laughs> you think you'd ever seen a lassie before? There's nothing wrong with the human body. It's a perfectly normal and natural thing. Oh, does that mean you'll be going top of thin more? Certainly not. I think it's bloody disgusting. Thank you, please, for that. Shut it, you young No, it's a sexist. Your mother's got marvellous tits. Wait, louder, Rab. I think someone in Kirkcaldy might have missed that. <laughs> Your mother's got marvellous tits. <laughs> so the next one is a difficult award to to hand out because like you mentioned earlier on there's so many well-known Scottish actors that just that pop up in this first <sighs> series the, the James Cosmo award for being in everything Scottish so I've I've sort of narrowed it down to three I've got Jake Darcy Dorothy Paul and Andy Gray and but then really Matt Costello should probably be in there although he's only in it for he's in it for like a second yeah. do you know what I mean it's, it's almost an extra who did you have well I was going to say, are we doing this on people that are just in a fleeting appearance or people that are in the main cast, like more than one episode? Because I've got Dave Anderson, mm. oh, yeah. Barbara Rafferty, and my winner, speaking about people that are in more than one episode, is Brian Pettifer. Mm. Or Ian McCall could be with a shout as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's too hard to give it to just one person. I think we'll just, they can all share it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, okay, next then, the, this is a hard one because... There's a lot of bad language in it, but it's not particularly on the sort of Frank Begbie level. There's lots of bloodies, bastard arseholes and stuff. Yeah, it's all bloody arsehole buggery type thing. Yeah. So what did you go for? I, I sort of struggled to think of like any one bit that sort of stood out. You know, what did you go for? I've got three written down. <laughs> I couldn't decide. Um, okay. So I did have the waist size 21. I've always been a fat bastard. Yeah. I did have the punter art, something to do with a wee taste of the old shite and onions. But my favourite has to be the ghetto, ghetto, ghetto back to buggery. <laughs> yeah, I've forgotten about that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next one then, the archetypal Scottish moment. So I had four here. Um, Jesus. Yeah, because there's so many. Uh, the, the I've first got one. 
So oh, let's right, okay. go with the four. Well, let's see. Maybe maybe this will be one. You maybe we'll align then. Um, so the first one you've mentioned already, Rab taking the exhaust that he found home off the street. Seemed like an awful Scottish thing to do. I've got uh, Jamesy on the beach getting burnt uh, in the sunshine again. Quite a Scot. It seems like quite a Scottish thing to do. Yeah, you're right. I've yeah. got uh, Shug's accent coming back when he was getting yeah. annoyed. Big mad mental Shug. <laughs> Um, yeah. And I've got uh, the Tory reception in Govan, which is a very Scottish thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. What, what you um, yeah, mine was uh, Shug. Shug's accent coming well, back. Oh, was it? Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> in terms of being Scottish. Yeah. All right, and then last one then is uh, the Sean Connery Award. Who Who's the winner? That's um, a clear winner, have, right? Have, have we done the uh, T-Z? Oh, sorry, I missed that. Yeah, so, so I missed that one. Um, so yeah, for the... The Jake McQuillan, your teaser award. I, I I had Mary sticking the head on uh, Dorothy Paul, but there's loads. There's quite a few. There's a lot. I had, um, that would have been my second choice. Uh, my first choice was Ella scrape our nails down a sunburnt yeah. Jamesy. That's a, oh, yeah. oh. That's yeah. a sort of the, there's, um, there's Andy Gray sticking the head on the English police officer as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> S-T-P-W-O. Uh, stitch that pal but off <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> yep so yeah, the 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 sh- it's it's Gregor Fisher has to be right I mean it's yeah of course it is yeah he's, of course he's, he's the there's, there's no show without him no no of course no it has to be Um, I, I think as much as a lot of the other actors are incredible in this then no but it's Gregor Fisher. Has yeah, to be. For sure. Okay. Well, that was Rabsy Nesbitt. Looking forward to doing uh, another another series of that in the future. Because they all seem to be on YouTube. Yeah, they are. They're all on YouTube. So mm. we can definitely do another series later on. Yeah. Um, well, I think we'll wrap up a couple of other shows that we've done before mm. we wrap up Rab. But we can yeah. definitely do that. Okay. Well, it was my choice, Rabsy Nesbitt. So what are we going to be looking at next time on The Swally, Greg? Well, in the interest of completing things... Last year, we did the first series of Guilt, which we both enjoyed a lot. I'm quite keen to see the second series. I've still not seen it. So I thought, well, what better opportunity, what better excuse to watch it than by covering it on the Swally? So I'd like to do the next series of Guilt. Very good choice. Yeah, I have watched it. Um, okay. But I will happily watch it again because I really enjoyed it. So I'll look forward to discussing it on the swally with you on the next episode well thank you very much for listening everyone if you'd like to follow us on instagram you can at culture swally pod or you could follow us on twitter at swally pod and if you want to email us then you can you can get in touch with us on culture swally at gmail.com with any news stories you've seen or anything you'd like us to cover and wherever you get your podcasts, please feel free to give us a little rating, review, subscribe, tell your friends. And I'm delighted to let you know that we have some exciting website <laughs> news, Greg. Well, I mean, it's maybe not that exciting, <laughs> but it's quite exciting. Um, yep, so those of you that have been listening to us for a while will remember we, had, we did have a website last year due to a breakdown in relations between me and Bluehost. <laughs> um the website was taken down um, but we've got a new website with uh, a different website provider and if they pay us maybe I'll mention who they are in a future episode but if you want to go over to cultureswally.com you can find 
links to other episodes. There is a feature on the Crankies, if you're interested in the Crankies. We've got our blog over there too. Um, There's a post up about Scottish television. There'll be some more stuff coming up over the next few weeks. And you can also see who is at the top of the Swally Tally as well. So come and check us out, cultureswally.com. And you can contact us on our Instagram, Gmail, and Twitter straight from the website as well. There's links on there that will take you straight to those sites. Wonderful. All right. Well, thanks very much, Craig. Looking forward to watching Guilt Series 2. Cool. Till next time. Till next time. Great I